You're listening to And welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club, a pop culture podcast about all the good pop that gets us through the days. I'm Marvin Yu, and joining me today for our inaugural meeting of the Good Pop Culture Club is self-proclaimed professional Asian, Jess Ju. What up, what up? And culture writer, Han Wen. Hi, fam. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Marvin, I'm so excited. This is finally happening. It only took a global pandemic to get <laughs> us all together to finally sit down and do this. I know. Uh, for our new listeners, previously, I had produced a pop culture discussion podcast about Asian American pop culture that Jess and Han have both been a part of. And they're definitely two of my favorite people to talk about pop culture with. So when I got the notion to start a new pop culture discussion podcast, of course, I wanted to go with my A-team of commentators. We were your plan B, and not even plan B, Han. We were, what were we, like plan D, plan <laughs> L? I, I mean, like, A, right? We we don't settle for less than an A. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. think that's what he told us. But I think in reality, it might have been a little different. But that's I mean, fine. Let's let's bygones to be, be bygones. To be totally transparent, whenever I wanted to have a good conversation about something, you two are my top choices. So, oh, okay, you're <laughs> forgiven. Um, but yeah, it's been a while since we did that show, and um. I guess um, I just missed talking about pop culture. So here we are, um, the newest podcast of the Potluck Podcast Collective, where every episode we'll get together and just talk about the good pop culture that we're consuming in our lives. Let's just get into it. Yeah, let's go. So for this first episode, we're going to be talking about life in the time of coronavirus, um, how it's changing our media landscape, and how we're getting through it. Um, but before we get to that, on every episode of Good Pop, we're going to start with a roundtable segment called What's Popping, where we ask each other what kind of good pop we've been consuming, especially since we're now in lockdown here in Los Angeles. No, no, we're safer at home. And, you know, it's a nice little rebranding. I I told my Bay Area friends about that and they're like, man, you guys are so good at like spinning it. <laughs> Because <laughs> I think in the Bay Area, it's called shelter in place. It's like very yeah. serious. Like, shelter in place is what most home. places are doing. Very LA. Very <laughs> LA. So what's popping, Jess? Uh, I have been inducted into the cult that is known as Animal Crossing. Welcome. This was my first Animal Crossing experience ever. I never understood what the appeal is. And thank God it came out last Friday. It is how I've been spending all my spare time. It has been a facsimile to the real world. So for people who don't know, it's essentially this very cute, calm game where you go to an island and you build out basically a town or a village but the cool part is that you can connect with your friends in real time via on um, internet or Wi-Fi connection. So you can like actually visit your friends and their avatars on their villages and vice versa. You can trade. You can kind of talk to each other. It's really cute. My boyfriend and I are long distance and we've had several Animal Crossing dates uh, <laughs> at my museum. My museum is pretty lit, y'all. Uh, I got hella fish. So, yes, Animal Crossing, two thumbs up. Apparently, it's impossible to get a Switch now. It's, they're all sold out. But if you can afford it and 
you know, you need something to curb the gnawing anxiety that has been creeping into your body, I would recommend Animal Crossing. Yeah, I, you know what, I just, uh, right before all of the uh, shelter in place, healthy at home, all of that happened, I did order a switch and I got the Animal Crossing switch. So I'm very oh excited. God. Yeah. That's like a hot ticket item. Well, I paid a little extra. I I, you know I just felt like if I was going to stay at home, I might as well have some. Tomorrow's not promised, Han. You made a good choice. I support you. Yeah. And also, you know what? This was my investment because I knew I was going to get the online option. So this is going to help me connect with people. And it has. Yeah. I have not joined the Animal Crossing cult yet, um, but... I don't know. It's looking pretty good right now. You need to get it. Right you need now. to get it. You need to get it. And you need to take one for the team and like say you're in the southern hemisphere so I can fish <laughs> for all the like rare fish I'm not getting for at least another two to three months. So you're just uh, using but, me for your completionist goals. Huh? Yes. I'm being very <laughs> transparent about the nature of our friendship. Yes, please do. But you should get it. It's a lot of fun. I have literally started talking to friends I have, like, you know, just, like, haven't really connected with in years. Like, for some reason, Animal Crossing plus Global Pandemic equals you can just randomly hit up people you haven't talked to in, like, eight years. And it's, like, you can pick up, like, no time has passed. (laughs) Which is one small silver lining of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the game itself is pretty much just chores, right? You're just doing chores around the island. (laughs) No, Marvin, it's about vibes. It's about vibes. But also, it's about friendship and community. You, you're, you're doing all this to help these other people and have friends and stuff like that. You're not doing things like beating up bosses. So, yeah, it's totally different. <laughs> um, there is definitely etiquette, though. So when you visit your friend's island, there are some things that you should just not do. Like you shouldn't steal all their fruit <laughs> and sell it. You shouldn't like chop down their trees. Which you can only do if you're like in best friend status. But to get the most out of your economics, essentially you have to visit each other, trade with each other, sell on each other's islands. I'm in like three different message threads all about Animal Crossing. One's called the Island HOA. One is the Animal Crossing Economic Plan. And we just trade information about what's selling for how much every single day. <laughs> so- so you're telling me you escaped to a deserted island just to bring them to bring capitalism. in capitalism. Oh, it's <laughs> it's like blatant, terrible capitalism, too, because one of the ways you can get resources is you buy this ticket to this mysterious island and then you get to just ex- you don't never go back. So you just go and exploit all their resources. You chop down the trees, you pick all the fruit, you just <laughs> decimate the island and you leave and you never look back. I was like, this is teaching me very very terrible values. Oh my god, I'm I would have totally been a colonizer back in the day. But <laughs> yeah. Wait until they have um Animal Crossing Slumlord and then you'll definitely be able to exploit <laughs> where you collect where you collect bells from the villagers. Oh, my question yeah, my question is how come I don't get to charge the villagers for rent? Oh my god, it's starting already. Han, it's starting already. <laughs> you your your mad developer side has already been planted. You have water. I it? have I Oh, I have um my city planning. I've made all my villagers live in high density housing next to each other, and I have my own plot of land with room to expand. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. So, as I understand it, the resident loan shark on the island is one Tom Nook. Tom Nook is a crook. I'm going on the so record. I'm saying if you 
muscle in on his territory of exploiting people being a slumlord won't he come and break a few legs you know his body men timmy and tommy are pretty small i think i could take them and he says he gives things to an orphanage but i'll believe it when i see receipts (laughs) so who's your favorite neighbor so far i'm actually trying to get rid of one of mine uh she's this really ugly cat and i keep hitting her with a the net and she just won't go away i'm like how many times do i have to hit you i'm not condoning violence but like how many times do i have to hit you what's wrong with this cat lady she's just really ugly and she's mean well they're kind of all mean (laughs) oh we could we could go on this forever i'm sorry marvin you gotta you gotta pull us out we'll check back on your uh gentrification of the dessert what's your island name mine is called pear isle because i sell pears uh but yeah check back in like a week or two next episode i will be like a full slumlord i will have taken over this island i would have exploited all its natural resources and left my villagers to fend for themselves just yeah it'll be great wow what an escape from real life it's different when you're the one in charge. Oh, God. <laughs> what am I saying? Next topic. Next topic. Next topic. Hey, Han, what's popping with you? So, um, not quite the same as Animal Crossing, but still a little bit of a fantasy escape. Uh, Emma, which um, was in theaters, and then they simultaneously decided to release it um, video on demand in order to get the people who were uh, sheltering in place. Um, and honestly, I loved it in theaters. Um, it's one of my, probably one of my favorite Jane Austen adaptations that I've seen in a while. And, you know, I like quite a few of them. Clueless is a great Emma, you know, but this one is also great for other reasons. And one of them is because the director used to do music videos or still does probably. And so there's a definite like feeling of being able to like, she creates sort of like this candy colored palette and it looks really cool, but she also hired like um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's sister, Isabel Waller-Bridge, who did the music for Fleabag. So she hired her to do the score and she does it kind of like, um, like Star Wars or Peter and the Wolf, where there's like musical themes for each person and instruments for each character who comes on. So it's just such a full experience and it's like slapstick and funny. And I don't know, it just made me super, super happy. So I'll be the first to admit that I am not the most versed in Jane Austen. Um, I kind of know the basics based on just osmosis like i kind of know what pride and prejudice is about even though the only version i've seen is pride and prejudice and zombies um but what's the general uh, like what's emma about <laughs> i should tell you the premise okay so emma is basically this really privileged rich bitch and she's very cute and she's pretty <laughs> and um and the thing is she doesn't really need anything because you know back in the jane austen days everything is about like finding a husband well guess what She's rich enough and she doesn't have any other siblings who are unmarried. So honestly, she could probably just inherit her dad's money. So she doesn't need to get married. And so because she's now a busybody, um, she decides to like set up her new friend who is this like poor woman um, named Harriet. Anyway, she was played by, uh, gosh, I'm just like trying to. Anyway, I forgot her. Yeah, Mia Goth. But then I'm also trying to remember who played her in Clueless, uh, the one who died. Tied. Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy. Okay. So brain. 
brain dead. Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> um, so she's trying to hook up her friend with like the you know eligible dude who happens to be a I, I don't know what the religious name is. Rector? Minister? The, the the church guy that's attached to the land. Yeah. I like how I know the definition, but oh not God. the word. I forgot the name. <laughs> anyway. Rector. Yeah, I think it's Rector. Well, Emma gets her wires crossed and she doesn't know how to read people and she doesn't know human psychology. So she doesn't get who actually likes who. And she thinks it's, oh. you know, and she doesn't understand class and the privilege that she has and how some people see other people <laughs> differently. And so she occasionally says some, um, like sh- some mean things. And here's the thing though. There's this guy who's a friend of the family. He's like a brother-in-law and um, he calls her out on, you know, all the stupid shit she does. But, you know, he actually loves her because... He, That's she, the Paul Rudd character. Yeah, he's the Paul Rudd so character. He is actually follow. played by Johnny Flynn here. And Johnny Flynn was in Lovesick, which I love, on Netflix mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. And um, oh. and he also sings. He's an, actually a musician in real life. So he gets to sing here. And he also does a song for the credits. So it's a very, very musical non-musical um but yeah Yeah. so you know who she's supposed to end (laughs) up with and just how it goes down bill nye is in it miranda hart's in it so it's just really fun i'm just looking at this cast and like the median cheekbone (laughs) index on this cast is off the charts it's gorgeous like they're gorgeous i just want to see them hug each other and hang out with each other um and also they're just do fantastic. the things we can't yeah yes exactly <laughs> this is what all tv is about now is to travel to places you can't go now and to see people do things you can't do like you know be in the same room closer than six feet so <laughs> yes um emma is perfect for that like and and, and here's the funny thing because they're very repressed and um during that time so like eat Things like touching on the wrist is a big deal. So, like, now we understand that. Uh, so we sympathize. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, give me a good Jane Austen wrist touch moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice, Kira Knightley. That was, like, the sexiest part where he, like, touches her hand when he helps her into the carriage. Yeah. Is this the equivalent of the K-drama wrist grab? Or is this, like... Uh, no, because the wrist grab is violent yeah. and actually very problematic. Yeah, that's this is like you shouldn't be because society's telling you men and women shouldn't be interacting due the rules of propriety. But it's like ooh, it's like we're... oh my god, they glance three times. <laughs> um, there is a very 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 hot dance. Um, in the movie where afterwards I'm just like fanning myself and then you can <laughs> even see that they're going getting all hot and bothered because then her love interest mr knightley goes home and he like rips off his cravat and it's like hot you are you are stop i'm i'm in quarantine at yeah, home with I'm my telling parents you, what am i supposed to do with this energy you're gonna you have to rent it and you you know everyone's gonna have thirst during quarantine you might as well play it out in John, jane austen style <laughs> okay you've convinced me you've convinced me i'm gonna go watch it right after we finish recording this <laughs> Marvin, what's popping with you? It is Top Chef season once again. If I had I a been... ham horn, I would use it right now. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. I know you hate it when I do that in real life, but ah, Top okay. <laughs> Chef. I mean, it's not just Top Chef. It's All Stars, right? In Los yes, Angeles. It's Top Chef All Stars in Los Angeles. They brought back all the big hitters. Um, and most importantly to, you know, to uh, my world, 
not one, not two, but three Asians are on board. And for followers of this series, this has been one show where like the Asian American contestant has like wiped the floor. I think they've. I was about to say weave. Let's just say weave. We've won like at least a third of all the competitions over the last like seventeen years. Competitions? You mean oh, like yeah. the actual like per episode yeah. competitions, or do you mean the you know, like top the chef, like winner, champion? Ah, uh, yeah. Right, starting with like season two with Han Huin. Um, There's Christian. Like, season one, Leanne got all the way to the final. Yeah, Kristen Kish. Kristen um, Kish. Um, uh, In season eight. Paul Kui, who's problematic, but he did win his season. <laughs> and there's one Maylin. recently. Maylin in season 10, who recently opened Nightshade in downtown Los Angeles Arts District. It's very delicious. Uh, currently closed, but doing takeout. Shirley is still <laughs> yeah, so. like doing stuff, and she was a, a finalist. Yeah, she was. Uh, she she was on it twice too. Yeah, um, she came she back as a, as a returning. Oh, her her winner. her second season, the one where. The very unfair season where they did like half newbies, half oh, vets, yeah. <laughs> and the vets just like wiped the floor. I was like, that's not fair. Just make it an all-star there season. There was one newbie who who held his own, though, I believe. So, uh, but yeah. Yes, the DC chef uh, who did a lot of, Jama- I think he did a lot of Haitian food. Yeah. Yeah, um, he was great. Yeah. I'm curious to know what your history is with Top Chef are. Like, Top Chef is probably the reason why I know about fancy restaurants in this in this life. Like I have a whenever I go to a new city, I'm, I look up where, where are the top chef restaurants in the city. Me too. I've been watching since season one. I love this show. It's one of those reality Back when, shows. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Billy Joel. Mrs. Oh. Billy oh Joel. X. Mrs. X. Billy Joel. <laughs> now Katie Lee Joel. No longer Joel. I think. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's one of those competitions that's actually gotten better over the years and has not lost its thread, but has because it's so respected and they get like really heavy hitters to both either compete on the show or judge the show Mm -hmm. and it's pretty impressive the challenges are like still some of them are crazy i do remember the one where everything was wrapped in in aluminum foil and they had to make it was a quick fire well this last one they had to cook over a open fire which is like yeah not fair in a way that's good hey you know if everyone has to deal with the same problems it's fair. Um, it, yeah, the like with the aluminum foil, I think it's very funny when they somehow get the product placement in in such a creative way. Uh, <laughs> but, but also, I'm just thinking, gosh, those poor, poor interns who had to wrap. Oh, everything. the PAs, yeah. I know. And then all that foil, what did they do with it? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> wasteful. Did, yeah, did you take it home? Did you reuse it? I don't know. That's the Asians in us speaking. Yeah. Like we're like, oh, we can. I can use that. I can wash it off and yeah. use that several times. I mean, maybe you can sell it and say this was used on Top Chef, and like, <laughs> oh, people would buy that probably. Yeah, it top has value. Would you buy that, Marvin? <laughs> yeah, probably not. I have aluminum foil. The Asian in me also says I already have it. I don't. I'm not going to pay a premium for used aluminum foil. <laughs> but what I really love about the series is like even when like you can tell the producers want to add drama, fundamentally the show is about people who are really good at this one thing showing off how good they are at it. And they're passionate about it. that's I think that's something and it's it shows creativity because I think a lot of people dismiss cooking um, and having that as a skill. They think, oh, you just should be able to feed yourself. What's the big deal? 
but it's creativity. Like there are times where you're watching and I'm just amazed at how that they can conceive of certain dishes and flavor combinations and even just on the fly. Like these are not easy challenges. Um, <laughs> all of my stuff would be like ver- versions of scrambled eggs. So <laughs> like, well, clearly I didn't go to school, you know, school for this. But at the same time, like the show also has taught me how to talk about food. I think a lot of people think I know a lot more. Than I do, you know, they're like, oh, you obviously like, you know, you're such a foodie or whatever. And I'm just like, I just watched Top Chef for like over <laughs> whatever seasons. And like a lot of decade, food almost yeah. over a decade now. <laughs> yeah. And so you get to know stuff like, yeah, I know what a chiffonade is like when you cut something. So I'm like, <laughs> but it doesn't mean I can do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I can be judgy. How many Top Chef restaurants have you been to, Marvin? Hmm. I mean, I've lost track. I, I There's no way I can. Yeah. That. Any standouts? I really like Sweet Cheeks in Boston. It's like a barbecue place by Tiffany, the runner up from season one, the villain of that season. <laughs> I've been to Beverly Kim's uh, Parachute in Chicago, um, which is really good. It's a Korean style um, restaurant. You actually went to her newest restaurant, right? Yeah, I just went to Wherewithal, which is her new more like Californian mm-hmm. American cuisine. And it was so good. Oh, my God. I was I had dinner by myself and it was like one of the most pleasant experiences I've ever had. I love they, they're very snack forward. I love snacks. You know, those little extra bites they give you that aren't on the menu. So there was like four snacks in addition to this four course meal. And she hit it out of the park the olive oil cake at the end i'm an (gasps) olive oil cake bitch so that was everything i wanted to eat it was so good would recommend Mm. you know it's it's sort of funny because you talk about that i'm like i don't know when i can go to there anymore um yeah the weird nostalgia i have for certain things like i noticed in the past few nights when i had insomnia i'd wake up and read my trader joe's frequent flyer about (laughs) this is like oh no this is like this is this this is so you're on your own day what day of quarantine are you on i've always read the shelter flyer though i have to say i like the writing and i like yeah it's really funny it's funny and the illustrations right and so i'm just like but i do yeah i i imagine myself buying these things at trader joe's (laughs) Shouts out to whoever writes and illustrates the frequent flyer. We recognize you. We appreciate your work. And I wouldn't appreciate it as much yeah. if uh, Top Chef didn't teach me all this, everything I knew about food. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to um, catching the rest of the season. Uh, episode two's up tonight as we're recording this. I'm going to go watch it after we finish recording. Yeah. Ooh, should we have a watch party? <laughs> you know what? We actually could and we don't even have to even sync it because we could watch it live. What is watching TV live? I, I don't PM. understand this concept. <laughs> yeah. Anybody you're rooting for in particular? Nini. Nini Nguyen. She, let's go, girl. All right. Vietnamese American woman. She, her jumpsuit game is insane from I, Nola. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We stand. We stand. Yeah, She's the I, underdog of the season. I have a few favorites. Nini is definitely one because like you're saying, well, Vietnamese jumpsuit, but then also from New Orleans and like having grown up in Texas, like the the love for Vietnamese slash Cajun is real. And um, and, you know, I think the fact that she kind of is coming in saying that she's still very new and is learning from everyone. I'm like, that's very smart. 
not being too full of yourself, but I think she also has just natural ability. I also do like a few other people besides our Asians. Um, Eric, uh, I think he was from the last season. Um, and then Stephanie from, I think she was from the New Orleans season. Yeah, and I like her because she's very wry humor and she's kind of down on herself mm-hmm. sometimes, but in a self-deprecating way. So I just find her very funny. Um, and then, I mean, the, it, it is funny to see some of these really old school OG people on there because I'm like, oh, my God, I remember you. But also, they don't look really bad. They look pretty decent, like physically. I was like, how, I know you aged, but you look better somehow. So, yeah, it's great. I, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what L.A. places that they go to because they got to do something, you know, with like Asian food or ethnic food or stuff or food trucks or something. Um, I was actually invited to attend Restaurant Wars, and I unfortunately didn't (gasps) get to. I was so bummed because I, I literally started my new job like the when they asked me to go, and I'm like, I can't say bye, see ya, just for like eight hours or whatever it would take, you know. But uh, they're like, oh no, I'm sick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then they see me on Restaurant Wars, and they're like, when did you shoot that? No, Uh, (laughs) don't worry, don't worry about it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, like, it's you know production's wild uh, on a know? weekend, you know. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I I really really wanted to, but I was like, damn it. But yeah, <laughs> that would have been my dream because who knows when it'll be in LA again? Never. I know. That sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm also rooting for Nini, but I have a soft spot for Brian Voltaggio. Um, um just for redemption for all big brothers everywhere. <laughs> Cuz he's not as rock and roll as as Michael, so <laughs> I get it, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our feature topic for this episode. Um, and quite fittingly, um, since it's our first episode and since we are launching our podcast in the age of coronavirus, um, our feature topic is life in the age of coronavirus. Um, things have changed over even the last week. Yeah, drastically um, day by day. But yeah, if you just think back to three weeks ago, a month ago. Yeah, I mean, it started with canceled festivals, right? South by Southwest got canceled, Coachella got canceled, and then slowly all the other film festivals, Tribeca got postponed. Even the local Asian American festivals, both um, Los Angeles Asian and CampFest got postponed. And it's just like, overnight it seemed like the entertainment industry just had a huge shift. I mean, they had to, festivals, of course, are, isn't just about huge crowds, but it's also crowds from all over the place internationally. And so that is the biggest risk, you know, um, is because people are, who hadn't been exposed to stuff now can be. And yes, it can work for good to show like content in fe- films, but it can also spread viruses. So yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, it, it definitely would have been a breeding ground. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like when Netflix and Amazon and all these buyers started pulling out of South by, that's like you can even have the festival. But at this point, who are you exhibiting to? Yeah, which sucks for all of our like not just our friends, but everyone who were counting on being at South, being at Tribeca for their films. Right. Yeah. A, a few outlets like my former um, employer, IndieWire covered south by southwest anyway so they got all of those screeners and they watched them and they reviewed them and still you know rolled out content so that they would get covered but you know obviously 
you can't do that like when people aren't there after a while because people don't necessarily want to read about festivals that aren't going on sometimes but yeah i think a few outlets did that to be able to still give exposure but it's fine it's just not the same for sure yeah and then to add on to that theater started closing right um film started going directly to streaming i mean you were just talking about watching emma like you can watch emma and a lot of like, I think Universal put all of their theatrical releases on Netflix, right? Or not on Netflix, video on, video on demand. demand. Yeah. No, it's video on demand. So it's day and date release. So you'll be able to watch it via rental system. You can purchase it to, you know, your iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Prime videos. You do have to pay for it. But I mean, it's, it's still it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's. I've heard. I don't know how how much did it cost. So, so what to... it is, what it is, is it's not the biggest tentpole movies. Like clearly, things like um, F nine they shifted to next year because mm. they knew oh my God, they yeah. wanted that in theaters until next year, twenty twenty one. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's uh, Mulan. You know, yeah. they even had their L A premiere and their London premiere mm. before they pulled the release. But but yeah, but you are right that Universal, the most recent movies, so Invisible Man, The Hunt, and even Emma, which is Fox Features as part of Universal, those are all were in theaters and then they simultaneously went to video on demand. So that way people could get access to them. And it's not quite the same as the video on demand that we think of, like you could rent it or you could buy it. What they were doing initially is doing something kind of like for like say 1999 you get it for 48 hours so it's still a rental but it's the cost of let's say two cheap movie tickets <laughs> so that way people they, so, so the studios aren't losing too much money but you're still making a savings let's say if you watch it at home with you know two to more people so they, yeah trying to eventize it kind of still like movie night but. which for me it's like i'm sitting here hovering on whether i want to watch the invisible man and paying 20 dollars for it but like it's just me so am I gonna am I gonna watch this movie twice? I don't know. Yeah, no. It, it, for me, it's like if for Emma, I want to like own it. So maybe I'll wait for that because I did see it actually in theaters. Um, so uh, instead of just renting it, but yeah, I think I want to own it and see whatever they have on the extras and stuff like that. But yeah, for those people who wanted to see or just curious, because I think what's the Vin Diesel bloodshot. <laughs> that I could see that definitely being a fun rent at home and watching with like some friends, but again, like how do you get your friends over? So <laughs> that's true. They should find a way to do that with like a watch party, but then I don't, it gets really complicated when it comes to like theatrical rights and they've yeah they've tra- been trying to make it sort of watch parties like they've been doing tweet parties. I, I saw Universal had um, for Invisible Man the director Lee Wanell went on and they were like he's gonna watch it this time join the tweet party so they're trying but i you know everyone's having to pivot so fast and so hard like some things are gonna hit some aren't i'm curious to see how this all shakes out after we come out of our quarantine like does it get back to normal will the theaters even survive till then or is this just gonna be the new normal where there will be day and day digital along with theatrical I will say, having not being able to go to a movie theater, I really miss <laughs> going to the movies. Um, you know, through our work, I think all of us watch a lot of screenings in various rooms, you know, big and small, a lot of times for free or no cost. And I think I took that for granted. 
Um, but I really miss like just going to see a movie with people in a proper theater in the dark. I have the worst attention span at home. So my fear is always if I'm going to watch something at home, I'm also going to be on my phone. I'm also going to be like, <laughs> you know, playing Animal Crossing because it owns my soul now. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that it's I think it will bounce back. I think people miss the movies. And I think especially with the cost of these video on demand is as much, if not more than a regular movie like Ticket. Yeah, I mean, eventually these things will go to the regular, I think, rental prices or whatever. Um, but at the same time, we should keep an eye out because prices are going to change for other things, many things. So maybe rental prices will stay high while people are being sheltered in place. So, um, but, you know, like if you get lucky and let's say you already subscribed to Disney Plus, you got your Frozen 2 pretty early. Um, they rushed that one, <laughs> not whether or not you wanted it. But um, yeah, so like subscription services that have movies on them, it's not that's not a bad idea. Like I'm excited to see, even though I'm kind of sad that it didn't get the theatrical launch, but like Lovebirds. Yeah, going that's to going to Netflix. Yes. Yeah. Straight to Netflix, a Paramount project that was originally scheduled to be released on April 3rd, but it's going straight to Netflix at an unannounced date. And uh, and there are some films that are were going to be kind of Netflix distributed anyways that I'm actually really looking forward to as well. So Tiger Tail by Alan Yang. It's his feature debut that's coming out April 10th. And the half of it by Alice Wu. She was the writer director of Saving Face. This is only her second feature film. Since it's Saving gorgeous. Face? Saving Face was a long time Since ago. Since Saving Face. It was 15 years. It took her... I mean, I think she was very adamant that she was going to tell her story and she was going to write and direct it. Uh, and most of her stories are queer coming-of-age stories. And I just think it kind of took this long to find the right platform, find the right project, and find the right people teenager. to let her do it. The it took a whole ass teenager, Marvin. Um, but I, I was very fortunate. I got a sneak peek at it, and it is beautiful. I think it's well worth the wait, um, and I loved it. So that's I, it was supposed to have its world premiere on May first, I believe, uh, or a little bit before at Tribeca, but it will now just stream on Netflix as planned on May first, I believe. Oh. Um, and I would not Asian American, but. I'd like to include in this list Uncorked, which Prentice Penny wrote. And it's, you know, about this guy who his family wants him to go um, take after in the barbecue business in, I think, Memphis. And he wants to be a sommelier instead. <laughs> and it's so far what I've seen of it. It's great. Oh, my God. This is like the sideways I always wanted. <laughs> it's fantastic so far. As I, as much as I've seen it, it's gorgeous looking. It's funny. Like the dialogue is great. The cast. Um, so, yeah. is uh, who, Remind me who's in the cast, Jess. Uh, the cast is, oh, my God. It doesn't like even have a Wikipedia page yet. It's Courtney B. Vance, Niecy Nash, Matt McGorry. Oh, my God. This cast. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, I never even heard about this. I'm so it's, excited for it now. Oh, yeah, and it, and it's tomorrow. Like, So once this podcast is already released, then it'll be out on Netflix. Oh, wow. Mamadou Athi, Helene Cardona. Oh, yes. It's great. I mean, they also, the 
the beauty, the cheekbone, and the beauty in this <laughs> cast is also very over-indexed. Yeah, and I really hope that a lot of these movies um, do find find their footing. I think South by is letting people stream all the shorts. Yeah. For free. That includes uh, one of my friends, Sue Ding's, her new documentary, um, short doc- her short documentary. The Claudia, Claudia Kishi, Kishi Club. Club. Yeah. Yes. Based off the Babysitter's yeah. Club character. Featuring like all our friends as talking heads. Yes. Um, uh, and um, also coming in May is the Babysitter's Club reboot on Netflix, which I'm probably not the key demographic <laughs> for this, but I am very excited because I love the Babysitter's Club. Uh, I burned through the VHS tape of the feature film uh, (laughs) from the like nineties. Say hello to your friends, babysitters club. Say hello to the P. I'm so excited. I was not a babysitter. I mean, I I wasn't the target. Really, Marvin? You know, but it looks like we have. It looks like there are a lot of uh, good stuff to look forward to as we. as we make our way through this age of staying indoors, staying safe. But how have you all been adjusting to um, this? I mean, I feel like this is like not the best panel to ask this question about adjusting to working from home. Because I know for a fact that all three of us have had a lot of experience working from home based on like the nature of our jobs. But it really feels like the age of telework is now like upon us just screens just screens multiple screens i'm literally sitting in front of three screens right now oh my gosh How literally all done? of my 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 phone rolodex or like my personal like rolodex of photos is literally just zoom snaps like screenshots of zoom sessions i've had with multiple friend groups because it's the best we're gonna get for a while right it's either that or like Animal Crossing group photos, which is also very fun. But <laughs> when when they have Animal Crossing virtual happy hours, then I want to I want in. <laughs> okay, we'll do. I have a coffee mug. I have not been able to purchase any alcohol yet, but maybe in the next update. Yeah, they they need to learn how to ferment. Uh, well, speaking of fermenting, I actually have become somewhat of a pioneer woman, and now that I have all this time. Not commuting, not going to events and weekends at home. I have resurrected my kombucha brewing. I have baked so many loaves of bread that my father has asked for a moratorium because there's just too much. And I have also uh, preserved lemons. I have been uh yeah just like anything that you know to brush up my skills that will save me in the apocalypse like i could barter the kombucha for maybe a gun later on um this is a weird apocalyptic situation it's a very la thing where you can barter with kombucha Kombucha. because i do think that would be like a hot ticket item it's like guns and kombucha and like if it's alcoholic even better wow (laughs) But for me, the weirdest part is I've, I'm kind of used to working remote or, you know, working from home. But my parents, I live with my parents still in our childhood, you know, my childhood home. And both my parents are furloughed slash laid off. Uh, they cannot work from home. So they, for the first time in maybe decades, have all this time, no work and no like vacation plans or like things to do so putting two like working class chinese immigrant parents in a one room one house 
too much time on their hands. That's been interesting. It's kind of like having kids now. I have to keep them distracted to keep them from spiraling. You know, it's bad when your middle aged immigrant mother is talking about her feelings. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, she was sitting on the couch. She's just like, I think I'm depressed. I was like, girl, we all are getting get on the train. Like, it comes in waves. Like, this is what this is how we live now. But you know, like for like, you know, she's she grew up in communism. She grew up in like a famine, and like this is getting to her. She she's been reflecting a lot. So she actually has said to me, she's like, I've lived so much in my life. When I was three, there was a famine. I was just like, whoa, 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 like we're going down the dark hall. Let's let's not let's not. I don't I don't think this is helpful. So I have been distracting her with Lego sets and puzzles. <laughs> That's awesome. Does she, she good at them? no but it distracts her so that's pretty good because it like i get a long like leeway you know i get like the roi in time is pretty good how are you at because this is my problem right now is so i live with my aunt she's in the elderly range of age so very high risk and i cannot keep her from going out and buying groceries i have to tell you all the older people in my family like all of us have to my generation have to yell at them and like make sure they stay put. And there is a sort of a like they're not quite getting sort of the science or like the like let's say my cousin went to visit my uncle because he had to give her something. And so she went to pick it up and she told him on the phone, like, leave it outside in the in front of the door. I'll pick it up. And then she gets there and, and she sees the bag. And so she's approaching the door. He opens the door and hands it to her. And she's like, no, because the thing is, you know, he also has health issues. So it's like they're not quite understanding the the transmission of like viruses and germs and that type of thing. And six feet social distancing. Um, and I've had friends who told me that their aunt and uncle would go out to all the stores. Do you know why? Because they want to see what's missing. They want to see what's not on the shelves. And I'm like, so they're not even shopping for things? Oh, my God. They truly are not getting it. (laughs) But, yeah. Like, my cousins literally have to, like, block the door to keep them from leaving. Man, how the tides have turned. (laughs) Right? Like, getting yelled at for staying out and going out too much. Because it's like, like, but we don't, like, we need to be like, hey, like, I don't know if, I don't know if growing up you, you had to, like, ration out your time out like you had to like bargain with your parents so if you went out on saturday you had to stay home all day on sunday or vice versa now it's like the opposite but it's also like the stakes are so much higher because just everyone could die if you go out yeah (laughs) i feel bad for all the multi-generational households out there who have to deal with both elderly parents and kids oh my god that's that just seems like and the misinformation, like my parents mm-hmm. are getting their news from WeChat and it's literally a copy pasta from a friend, you know, a friend of a friend. It's, it's 82 degrees of Kevin Bacon information telephone. So they're telling me crazy shit like they're going to spray disinfectant at 4 a.m. So make sure you're not outside. Like, number one, why would I be outside at 4 a.m.? Number two, no one's going to spray disinfectant. What? It's not a thing. And someone, uh, someone's uncle's cousin's friend works at the CDC and they're going to shut down the... Fr- no, no, please don't. So I literally pry the phone away from my dad. I tell my mom to turn off the news because she just will sit there all day and watch these terrible 
news reports. I'm like, let's <laughs> let's not. I was like, why don't we change it? Let's watch some HGTV. Look, love it or list it. You love that show. Let's watch that. Oh wow, that kitchen island. Yes, yes. We should get one. I know. If, if there ever was a time to like ban the Asian Auntie Network, this is the time because it is not doing anyone any favors right yeah. now. Yeah, even back, you know, pre-Corona, um, we had taught my mom to check Snopes first. Like anything she was going to forward to us, we're like check Snopes, and so oh, she'll say smart. something like that. She'll be like, "I check Snopes first. and um, but it also doesn't mean like you know, like just actual disinformation out there, like the stuff that's not even like hoaxes and stuff. Because she was like, "Well, this report said this," and I'm like, "Where do you get it?" You know, <laughs> and so it's kind of like trying to let her know, I'm like, just don't believe anything you see out there unless one of your kids says it's okay. So. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder to sort of block, you know, my mom from getting bad information. Yeah. It was so much easier when they didn't know technology, huh? Kind of, yeah. I mean, at least it's it's helping my mom get distracted now. She lives alone. And so I'm very thankful that at least we, we finally taught her to know how to use Netflix. Um, and uh, I gave her a Kindle. And right now she has books in it. But when she's done with those books, I'm not sure if she knows how to reload it. So we're going to have to see what the next step is. Maybe I might have to do <laughs> I, it remotely for her. I set my mom up with all my streaming services. I put it on her iPad. And I realize Netflix now has a, just has a lot of content with Chinese subtitles. So I made her watch the Ali Wong Baby Cobra special <laughs> as her first foray. And she looked appalled. Like I watched the first few minutes with her and she was oh. just like appalled. But also like I could tell she was into it. I was like, and she kept looking at me. She's like, she sounds like you. I was like, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's why I should watch it. <laughs> My mom would be so mad at me if I told her to watch that. <laughs> she she can't take certain things like she was just telling me talking to me about like books and she's like I just don't want a lot of blood and sex and I'm like yeah no I'm aware um, but Ali Wong that would be my dream if she watched that actually <laughs> and I'll be like this is a successful woman talking about vaginas and people she's love her filthy rich yeah she's filthy rich she's made a killing <laughs> off of this and look at her attractive husband like this is the dream so. Yeah, like, don't worry about me. Look, she can do it. I can do it. That's the dream. Well, good luck, Jess, in um, dealing with your parents 24-7 now. I'll, I'll ask me again next time, Marvin, how I'm doing. Yeah, we're going to check in on you and your parents and also on your burgeoning colonial empire. Yeah, I think this should be regular segments. Just uh, just you, parental <laughs> vent time. and Or what's, what's mom and papa you doing now? And uh, Animal Crossing economic uh, state of the union, (laughs) state of the Animal Crossing. Let us know if you've managed to um, deport your cat. Oh yes, I am. I am. I am. I am using uh, aggressive methods to get him to leave. Uh, which I understand saying this, the irony of everything I'm saying, but he's like a really (laughs) ugly, mean cat. So I think I'm justified in this. Well, um, on that note, I guess that'll wrap up our discussion on uh, life in the time of coronavirus. And also, um, I guess we can start wrapping up this first episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. We did it. We talked for about an hour about random shit. (laughs) Thank you so much to both of my co-hosts today, um, Jess and Han. 
Thanks for starting this, Marvin. Finally. <laughs> um, Han, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they go? Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Hanonymous, H-A-N-H-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S. And, um, and my writings are at salon.com. And Jess, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at JessJewTweets. That's J-E-S-S-J-U Tweets. And you can find me at Marvin Yue. That's M-A-R-V-I-N-Y-U-E-H. And if you've enjoyed listening to this first episode of Good Pop, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. And if you are a listener on Apple Podcasts, um, please give us a nice rating and review. Um, it really helps us out, especially in these early days to um, get out to more people. So we really, really appreciate your support. Um, Good Pop has a Twitter account that we just started. It's at Good Pop Club. So give us a follow if you want to engage with us on there. Um, Good Pop is also a member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora community. You can find us and our fellow Potluck shows, including Books and Boba, They Call Us Bruce, Saturday School, Asian Americana, and more by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. We're still looking for an official theme song for this podcast, but the theme music feature today um, was made by Nico Blitz. You can follow him at Nico, a.k.a. Blitz. Thanks again for joining us for this inaugural episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, we hope to see you next time. Um, we'll be back in about two weeks to talk about the good pop that we love. So we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Stay safe and sane. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 